Well, Pastor Derek did an incredible job last week of setting the temperature or the tone for our church for 2019. Pastor Derek established quite well that we ought to see people the way Jesus sees people. And he illustrated that with how Jesus reached out to Matthew. And Matthew was a person, as he talked about, who was considered to be a, quote, lost person. He was considered to be a, quote, sinner or somebody who was far from God. And what we discovered last week is that nobody, nobody is outside of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And then Pastor Derek uh, wrapped it up quickly at the end of his message, and he encouraged us to pray that God would give us a heart for lost people, that God would give us a heart for those who are far from God, and then also to show them love with the hopes that one day that they would come to a a saving grace, a faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll kind of come back to that as we wrap up the message today, but what I want to do for the remainder of our time is expand on what he briefly mentioned at the end of the message, which was praying and showing love. See, here's the reality. You want to see people the way Jesus sees people. The reality is we can see people like Jesus sees them. In other words, we can know that they're there. We can even pray for them. We can see them, but we don't really see them. Our eyes can be open, but the reality is we're unaware. And when that's the case, we are going to discover today that when we are unaware, that it means our hearts are actually far from the priorities of God. And God's great desire this morning is to stir all of us to action. I uh, have a hard time, I've kind of mentioned this before, but I have a hard time when I'm driving for an extended length of time, I have a hard time keeping my eyes open. I I just kind of do. In fact, I have a hard time keeping my eyes open in all sorts of situations where I'm just sitting. When I go to the movies, every time I go to the movies, I fall asleep. Every single time I know it's coming, I try to figure out how to manage it and make it a smaller window, but I I fall asleep. When I go to musicals, I've been to many musicals, I fall asleep. Some of you are like, well, I'd fall asleep too at a musical. No, but, you know, good musicals, and I fall asleep. I fall asleep at recitals, at shows, and yes, I have even fallen asleep at a U2 concert at Anaheim Stadium. I have fallen asleep at a Seinfeld comedy night, which somebody reminded me after first service said, no kidding, I was there with you when you fell asleep. I have fallen asleep at the Lion King musical, a phenomenal musical. I just struggle to keep my eyes open when I'm sitting. I guess that's why I go, go, go. Now, as bad as that is, what about the time when our eyes are open? We don't fall asleep, our eyes are open, but we don't actually see anything. Have you ever had that type of moment where you've been driving? That's usually where it happens the most. You've been driving, and the next thing you know, you're at your destination. Has that ever happened to you? And you're kind of like, I have no idea how I got here. Right? What just happened? How did it? Did I run any stop signs? Did I, did I stop at stoplights? What, what just happened? How did I get here? Your eyes were open, but your brain wasn't engaged. You were on autopilot. You were, if I could use the term, you were zoned out. Now when that happens, isn't it kind of trippy? 
I mean, when you, if you think back and go, it's amazing I didn't get in an accident because I wasn't paying attention. I don't even know what happened, how I got here. Well, when it comes to the priorities of God, it's easy to drive down the road of faith with our eyes open, but to be totally unaware, to be unaware of God's activity in our life, to be aware of God's hand in our life, to be aware of God's movement in our lives, or even in those around us. We can, our eyes can be open, we can see, but we're unaware. We're zoned out to the priorities of God. My question for you is this, is what are God's priorities? What matters to God? If you could summarize it in a few words, what would you say are God's priorities? We could say a lot of different things, but let me try it this way. The priorities of God in six words are simply this, reach the lost, grow the saved. Reach the lost, those who are far from God, with the saving message of Jesus Christ. And once they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then to grow them into Christ's likeness. Grow them so that they experience abundant, or we experience abundant life that only Jesus offers. With that in mind, the priorities of God, reach the lost, grow the saved. Will you look with me at Luke, I'm sorry, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. You can turn in your Bibles. You can also go on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app. John chapter 4, and we're going to read the words of Jesus. And he says here in verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, or another translation says, accomplish his work. Do you not say four more months, and then the harvest. I tell you, open your what? Open your eyes, and then what does he say? And what? And? And look. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Uh, let me read another translation. It gives a little more colorful language. It says this in the New Living. It says, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying. Four, more mo four months between planting and harvest. But I say, I like these words. I like this translation. What, is the, what are these two words? But I say, and what, is G what does he say? But I say, wake up. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Now, living in an agrarian society, Jesus' users or listeners understood the language Jesus used to illustrate the priorities and the passion of God. And Jesus told them, hey, open your eyes. He said, wake up, look around, pay attention to what's actually in front of you, see what God sees, which is what? There's people all around us right now that God wants to bring into his family. I want to say that again. Jesus is telling you and I, wake up. Don't zone out. And look around and see all the people around you that God wants to be brought into his family. But why do we miss it? How is it possible that you and I miss that? We miss the heart of God, that our, our eyes are open, but we don't see 
the priorities of God. Why is it? Well, the first reason we don't often see the priorities of God is because we want to do the will of me, or we prioritize the will of me. What am I talking about? Notice what Jesus said in verse 34. He said his goal, Jesus's goal, his priority was to do the will of who? The will of God, the Father, him. Have you ever considered that there are two wills that are constantly at odds with each other? You ever thought about that? That there's this continual tension that exists. Will of me or the will of the Father? Now, what are the will of me priorities? If I got honest with you, if I really thought about it, and I would encourage you to get honest with yourself right now, if I really thought about it, I know what my will is for my life. I know what my will is. If I got real honest about it, I would say that my will for my life, I got a few of them, one of them is comfort for sure. Wouldn't that be true for some of you? That one of your wills is like, I, I want comfort in my life. Oh, the will for my life is pleasure. The will for my life, I'll tell you another one, financial margin. We just came off of Christmas. And some of you are looking at the bank account statements or the credit card statements and going, Lord, I wish I had financial margin. You know, another will of me is fun. I love to have fun. I just do. I I just try not to take life too seriously. And over the years, people have come to our church who who are just take life a little too seriously. They struggle with me. They just do. Because I, I, I just like, I don't want to take life too seriously. It's too short. Let's enjoy the will of me. I, I want to have fun. Uh, you know, yesterday was, was like God did the greatest miracle he's done, and the Cowboys won. <laughs> you knew where that was headed before I even said it. You are like, I already know where he's going. And the Cowboys, and so you know what, we had fun with it. A few of us were together, and, and we, we, we froze the screen, or we paused the screen with the score, and the coach, and the players all slapping it up, and then, and then we took a picture of the other coach, and his head, hands were between his eyes, and we were all, you know, doing the same thing, and then we shot that, those pictures out to a bunch of people, and some people weren't too happy. <laughs> they, 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 they weren't too excited about that. We were, we were having fun. Enjoying life. For me, that, that's, that's the will of me. That's one of the things I want. The will of me is all about who? The will of me is all about me. Do you know that to be true in your own life? If you get honest? The will of me is about me. Who's the will of the Father about? Who's the will of the Father about? Anybody want to? Not bad. The will of Father is about others. The will of the Father is about others. In fact, let me throw something out to you to give consideration to. God is more interested in your horizontal relationship with others than he is in you having this amazing, incredible personal relationship with God and focused on that. Some of you are like, really? God's more interested in this relationship of course, he cares about his, your, his relationship with you, but he's more interested in your relationship with others. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus said, greater love, ha- greater love has no one than this, 
that you read your Bible every day and pray to God every day. Is that what it says? Those aren't bad things. But greater love has no one than this, that you lay down one's life for one's friends, that you lay your life down for another. John says throughout his short letter in 1 John, I would encourage you to read it with this thought in mind. He says throughout his letter that the mark of love for God is seen in how we love others. He said in 1 John 4.20, he said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a what? Is a, is a liar. Really? For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You see, the will of me is all about me and my priorities. But the will of the Father, it's all about others. It's all about others. You and I can start seeing this harvest that Jesus talks about. These people who are far from God, who need God. We can see this harvest and not be zoned out to the will of God when we submit to the will of the Father. Not to the will of me, but to the will of the Father to doing his will. And I want to ask you right now, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What part of the will of me, your personal will of me, is at odds with the will of the Father right now in your life? What is God saying to you right now? What part of your will of me is at odds with the will of the Father? And will you be willing right now before the Lord to submit to him, to submit your will of me, and say, God, I submit to your will in this area. How else do you and I have eyes that are open and yet we're missing the priorities of God in our lives and not seeing his heart? The second reason is that we prioritize accomplishing our work. We prioritize accomplishing our work. As opposed to what Jesus said, look back at verse 34, John chapter 4. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish or to accomplish, notice what he says, his work. Now, we can go a lot of different directions on this. I just want to point out one. One of the biggest reasons that you and I like to do our own work, so to speak, or our own plans, our own agenda, is they provide us instant feedback. When we pursue our own agenda, our own work, our own plans, we get instant feedback. And our society is turning more and more into instant feedback junkies. Would you agree with that? That that's where we're headed. Now, smartphones and social media are certainly valuable, but studies are showing us over and over that they're actually damaging as well. Uh, I was reading an article, and one article said this. It said, what psychiatrists, neuroscientists, marketers, and public health experts say, and what their research shows, is that smartphones, social media, are, are causing real damage to our minds and relationships. Measurable in time, shaved off the average attention span, reduced brain power, declines in work-life balance, and, hours less, and, and decline of hours less of family time. They have impaired our ability to remember. They make it more difficult to daydream and think creatively. They make us more vulnerable to anxiety. They make parents ignore their children. And they are addictive. To that last point, 
Chris Marcelino, who helped develop iPhone's push notifications at Apple, he said that smartphones hook people using the same neuropathways as gambling and drugs. Sean Parker, who is the founder of Napster, and if you're too young to know what that is, ask somebody around you who is older. The founder of Napster and the ex-president of Facebook, he recently admitted that the social media platform that they designed and created to hook users, they did so knowing it would hook them with, with spurts of dopamine, which is a complicated neurotransmitter release when the brain expects a reward or accrues fresh knowledge. He said this, we're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. The investors understood this consciously, and we did it anyways. We tried to make our products as addictive as possible. Now, I'm not here to pick on social media. We all have to find our balance with it, with phones and all that, and not be controlled by it, and have balance and use them, you know, in a good way. But the point is this. When we focus on our stuff, or we focus on our stuff, our work, uh, the things, whatever it may be, we focus on it because what it's giving us is instant feedback. And we're in a culture now where we need that more and more and more because of the way we, our society is. We're, we're addicted to instant feedback. Jesus tells us something different. He says when we prioritize accomplishing the work of the Father, it can be long. It can be slow. It's about one key word, if you want me to throw a word out to you to think about. Doing the, the work of the Father is all about faithfulness. Think about it. Day in, day out. Week in, week out. Month in, month out. Year after year. Decade after decade, some of you understand that. Some of you have been praying for somebody for a long time, haven't you? You've been praying for a long time to be faithful. There isn't the instant gratification. You want them to come to know Jesus. Talking to someone this morning who, for, for over a year, they had been praying for somebody, and God's finally working in their life in a powerful way, and they're excited about it. Talking about another person who prayed for, uh, talking about Steve and uh, prayed for his dad for, for decades, and he just gave his life to the Lord recently. Some of you know that. Some serve God faithfully day in, day out, week in, week out, year after year, decade after decade. Some of you have been doing that here at LifePoint or at other churches. You don't necessarily get the instant rewards, the instant feedback. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he said to store up treasures in heaven as opposed to storing up treasures on earth. Jesus was talking about this idea that what we do when we do the work of God rather than our own work is it is long term. It's not always about instant gratification or instant feedback. God invites you to prioritize his work in your life to do his work in your life, to accomplish his work. And when we begin to do that, we can begin to see that harvest in front of us of those who need to know God who are far from God. How else is it that you and I have, our eyes are open, but next thing you know, we, haven't, we didn't know how we got home. How can our eyes be open and we don't see the priorities of God? 
because we prioritize our excuses. We prioritize our excuses. Look at what Jesus said in verse 35, John 4. We prioritize our excuses as why we don't need to focus on God's work and priorities now. Notice he says, you say, four more months and then the harvest. In other words, we'll get to the priorities of God later. We'll get to the priorities of God eventually. We got to stay focused right now on the will of me. Four more months and then the harvest. In other words, there's no harvest now. It's not time now. My neighbor isn't ready right now to hear about the love of God. That person I work with every day, they're not ready today right now. You know what? Maybe I'll invite them to church on Easter. You see, we tell God excuses. They don't want to hear about my story. They don't care about God or church. Again, all this speaks to the tension in our spirit of we're concerned with instant gratification versus long-term results. That we reach out not having a clue that God might be doing something powerful in their life right now. Jesus understood that you and I can have open eyes, we can see, and yet be completely zoned out to the priorities of God in our lives. So he's inviting each and every one of us this morning to look at the field, to see people, to really see them, that they're ready, that they're ready for eternal life right now, to see what Jesus sees. Now last week, Pastor Derek talked about this. And he talked about Jesus' encounter with Matthew. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew later wrote down his observations about what it is that Jesus sees. And I think it's very interesting what Matthew wrote. He said in Matthew 9 verse 36, he said, When he or Jesus saw the crowds, he had, or another translation says he felt, compassion on them because they were why because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd now this is matthew chapter 9 question who wrote matthew what's the answer matthew matthew is describing jesus and what jesus sees and he says jesus sees people and he sees them as being he had compassion on them and they're like they're helpless if anybody knew what that felt like to be lost to be helpless, to be a sheep without a shepherd. It was Matthew, wasn't it? He saw firsthand this incredible compassion and love and grace and mercy of God. And so Matthew went on because he knew that Jesus was someone who cared about, quote, sinners. Verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I understand this verse, and the reason I understand this verse is because in my heyday, in my glory years, I was a weekend farmer. Now, what do I mean by that? I had seven whole fruit trees in my backyard, all right? So, I mean, I get this verse. Now, when those trees that I had in my backyard were in great shape, I hadn't killed them all off yet. When they were in great shape, I got to tell you, I had so much fruit buckets and buckets and buckets. And I don't know what it is about fruit trees, but they all deliver the fruit at the same time. And I would go out and I couldn't keep up. And I debated 
forcing my kids to help me. I really did, and, and for whatever reason, I decided not to, not to worry about it, not to bother. Maybe the attitude was, there's so much fruit, we didn't need it all anyways. I, I don't know, but I didn't make them come out and help me. So what happened? Because there were not enough harvesters to harvest all the fruit, the, much of the fruit, most of the fruit, fell to the ground and rotted away. The fruit essentially died, right? It's the same thing that Jesus is saying. The harvest for lost souls is huge. It's ready right now. And if we don't join God in the work, Jesus says, in a sense, they fall to the ground. They rot. Or another way to say it, they die without Jesus and without salvation. And I've thought, maybe God should force us to work in the, in the fields. Like I've thought about my own life and with my kids. Maybe I should have forced them, but God doesn't do that. What does God do? He tells us. He says, I want you to look. I want you to see the harvest. And I want you to pray that others will join in in the harvest process. That more people would commit to reaching those who are far from God. There's consequences if we don't have that kind of vision. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. If you and I don't have a vision for what God can and do through us and in us, then people are going to die around us and spend eternity separated from God. Don't take this verse and pass the bunk and say, ah, oh, that's for leadership or something. No, 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 let's make it personal. In fact, I love what Luke wrote. He wrote an inspiring word to us in Acts chapter 14. And he says this about Paul and Barnabas. He says, from Italia, they, they sailed back to Antioch. That was the church that they were from where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they now completed. Or another translation says, for the work they now accomplished. You see, God has chosen you and I to reach our community with the gospel message of God's saving grace. And that will take conscious effort on our part to do the will of the Father rather than the will of me. To do the work of the Father rather than to do my own work. That, that, that's going to cause me to say, I cannot give any more excuses of why I'll get to it later. That there has to be this sense of urgency for now. That now is the time. That now the harvest is right. The people are before us. God invites us to join him in his work. Why? Because 2 Peter tells us God desperately wants all people to come to repentance and live. I love how Henry Blackaby describes this process of joining God. He says this, he said, God invites us to become involved with him in his work. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. And then he says this, once that happens, then we must make a major adjustment in our life to join God in what he is doing. In other words, Blackaby's saying, for something to happen here, there's got to be some kind of kick in our pants. There's got to be some kind of wake-up moment. There has to be some kind of I'm tired of just doing my will. I actually want to be involved in what God is doing. I want to join God. So I have to make some kind of change. 
And Jesus makes it clear the type of change, the number one change that has to transpire in our lives if we're going to join God and in the work of God. We have in the Bible what we call the Great Commission of Jesus. And you see the Great Commission of Jesus in four different places, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and then Acts. And you can go look up these passages later this week, but if you read them, you will discover in all those passages the biggest adjustment that God has called us to. The single biggest adjustment is that there becomes an intentional pursuit of those who are far from God. That there becomes this intentional pursuit of going to other people. Let's be real. Far too many people Far too many churches, we just wait for them to come to us, don't we? It's like we're waiting for our neighbor to knock on our door and say, hey, I'm ready for you to share the gospel with me. Would you do that tonight? I'm ready to receive Jesus. It doesn't work that way. God said there has to be an intentional pursuit of going, of initiating. As Blackaby said, that requires a major adjustment. I'm going to tell you what that major adjustment will mean for us if we will intentionally pursue. The major adjustment will be with our time. The will of me wants my time to be my time for me. The will of the Father is our time is for others. And so it will require an adjustment of our time that we give more of our time. And it will require an adjustment of our resources that we will give our resources for the glory of God to reach people. The will of me wants all of my resources, all of my money to be all about my kingdom, about my retirement, about my future, about my comfort. The will of God is store up treasures in heaven, that we would give to God's kingdom and to God's glory. By the way, that's just practically, that's one of the reasons we give to God's churches, so that the church collectively can use that as a resource to reach people who are far from God. As Blackaby said, we have to make major adjustments in our life to join God in what he is doing. So, LifePoint's mission is pointing people to life in Jesus. So we would invest in people and point them to a life in Jesus. The question is, what about you? Is that a personal mission? That you will point people to this life in Jesus, to eternal life? I love how Paul described it. He was on a personal mission for God's to, to follow God's mission. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why did he do it? Because he said, because I want to win as many people as I can. I want to win as many people to Jesus. That word win means to acquire by effort, that he took the effort to win people to Christ. He went on in 1 Corinthians 9 and said, so I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to win people to Jesus. So, as we wrap it up this morning, last week, Pastor Derek asked us to pray for those who are far from God, who don't know God, and then to show them love. I'm just going to ask you a real honest question. How's that been going for you this week? Have you followed through? If you want to join God in what he's doing, Blackaby says there has to be a crisis of belief and faith that will lead you to major adjustments. I'm telling you, there is nothing more thrilling than joining God in His work and His will. And preachers and teachers and God tell us to look and tell us to see and tell us to pursue and go after. But the question is, will you?
Some of you this morning, God is calling you to, you're finally hearing it. You're finally seeing it. There's 170, 180,000 people in Elk Grove. We don't need to just shuffle people around, shuffle sheep around the churches. Tens upon tens of thousands of people desperately need Jesus. Would you agree with that? They're right here. So will we see them? And will we make the adjustments in our life? No more excuses. Let's set aside the will of me and pursue God's will and God's work. How about we finally say, I will do whatever it takes to win people to Jesus.